Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. We hope this week's message encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. John is on sabbatical this summer. It's been good to see you all do your part in being the church, not just coming to church, but being the church. And one of the other great opportunities is not only for him to get some rest, but also for you to hear some other, a couple times throughout the summer, you're going to hear some people you wouldn't normally hear from. And today is my pleasure to introduce my friend, uh, one of our elders, Bo Humphrey. He's a former and current chicken farmer. He loves Purdue more than he probably should. And uh, today... You're in for a treat as he shares from God's word. I appreciate that most about Bo, uh, just in our times together, as he's, he's directed me towards what's most important, and I am excited for him to do that here today for you as well. So Bo, share what God's laid on your heart. We're looking forward to it. And a uh, current chicken farmer, that means that sometime you lost all your chickens and you got more chickens. So uh, that is the state of our... Uh, of our big ranch out there with six, seven chickens. So uh, um, <clears throat> I, I confess I'm, um, I'm a little bit nervous uh, doing this, and it's actually not because of the crowd. Because of my, my work and my job, I've had the opportunity or the responsibility at times to address uh, larger crowds and stuff like this. But, but in a way, I'm a little bit nervous because of the, the content, right, what I'm doing. I'm well aware that the, the charge for who is here, Tyson, over the last four weeks, and John, and whoever would be here, is to, uh, to proclaim God's word. Uh, and there's a seriousness of that. There's a responsibility to that, because it's God's word. Uh, it's not the word of man. It is God's word. And so I, I, I have a little bit of nervousness because of that. In fact, I, I told Tyson I'm nervous enough that I was thinking about plagiarizing. I was actually going to take Jonah's sermon, if you remember the last few weeks, Jonah's sermon was to uh, walk, and I was going to walk up and down the aisles here and say, in yet 40 days and Danville will be overthrown. That was going to be my sermon. He, he reminded me that I'm, uh, I'm not Jonah, and you're not Nineveh, right? So I'm not going to do that. He did, however, say that I could take that message down to IU and uh, proclaim, <laughs> <coughs> proclaim that message. Um, right before we were gathering for prayer, Dan Vreeland said, uh, Hey, you're not going to, uh, like, take any hits on IU or anything, are you, while you're there? And I said, Dan, would I stoop to such lowness with John being gone? And would I, yes, I absolutely would do that. And uh, so there it is. Um, hey, like Jonah, we, we live in a fallen world. Um, I probably don't have to tell you that because the, the effects of sin are, uh, are everywhere. You can see them. Uh, you can see them in injustice. You can see it in uh, pain, in suffering, in death even. Uh, there's greed. Uh, there is corruption. There are wars. Uh, there are offenses within ourselves even. So we, we live in a fallen world. Even creation, you can look out and you can see that that's there. Um, you can tell that it's not the way it's supposed to be. In that context, in the context of the world we live in, Jesus actually causes us to, calls us to deny ourselves. He causes us to take up our cross daily even. Not just once, but to, to take up our cross daily and to follow him. He even says, don't love the world. For all that is in the world is not of God, but is sin. That's what it says. 
hey, those are true for every single Christian. They should be characteristic of our lives, that we should be denying ourselves and, and following Jesus, purposefully doing that. And yet, at the same time, God gives us good things even today, doesn't he? So even in the midst of this, we, we can still enjoy a summer day. Right? We can enjoy some. So, so what are some of those good things? Well, I, we've got We'll go over those. Hey, this is... Uh, Judgment for the. We're going to turn this off. Okay. This means I'm going to have a harder time pounding on the on the podium up here. That's what this means. So hey, one of the good things is family. That's uh, that's my family. We were able to get away as a family vacation. Um, one of our children lives overseas, and they were in the country, and that's a good thing in it. Many of us have families by which we're very thankful for. Uh, and they are gifts from God, absolutely. We have seven grandchildren. Uh, little Grayson just turned eight months just a few weeks ago. Uh, what, a, what a gift, what a joy for that. But what are some other, other things that are gifts? Well, our church is. Uh, this is taken from VBS. Hey, my favorite part of this picture is Sam Baker over here on the right. Look at him getting it on, man. He's, he's going. Hey, our church being with our, a building that we have, a new parking lot, right? But it's the people. Uh, that's a good thing. It's a gift from God. Some other good gifts from God. This is a picture I took uh, out my our backyard. There's a field back behind us. And this was a few, about a month or so ago, and there was a light mist going over. It's one of those mornings that you just get up and you look outside. And we got a little farm pond out there, and there's a mist over it. It's just beautiful. You just look at that, and you just it just... It just reminds you when it says that creation declares God's glory. And that's what was going on that morning. Uh, how about some other things? Uh, this was, uh, give credit to Matt Stewart. I stole this off his Facebook page. This was the fireworks. 243 years ago, we celebrated the Declaration of Independence, right? Where not only did we declare ourselves independent, but we had all these things against King George. And one of those was that we wanted to drink iced tea, not hot tea, right? That's what the Declaration... I, I think that's, that's probably in there somewhere. I, I think it is. <clears throat> no, but we live in a great country, don't we? Uh, some of you have had a chance to, we've lived in a different country, we've, we've had a chance to visit different countries, and always makes you thankful for your own country. Hey, that's a gift from God, that's a good thing, that's something he gives us. What are some other ones? Well, coming up in a couple of weeks, we've got the Hendricks County Fair, who likes going to the fair. Yeah, funnel cakes, elephant ears, get a chance to see all the different things that are going on, right? It's just a good time to be able to see and to be with a community and with the people. And of course, no list of all good things would be complete without bacon, right? Bacon is a good thing. So how do we pursue Jesus even in these good things? Our pursuit of Jesus goes across all parts of our Christian life. So we want to look at this. This is a little bit different. This is a topical sermon. So in the last four weeks, Tyson walked us through verse by verse through the book of Jonah Really appreciated that. We, we had to miss one week, and uh, so I, we were able to listen to that on the podcast coming back uh, from vacation. Really enjoyed and appreciated what he had to say about that. 
So today we're going to be looking at a couple of portions of the Bible. Uh, it is always a privilege to look into God's Word, so if you would, uh, please join me in prayer. Father, we are amazed at your goodness. You uh, haven't just given us uh, grace and mercy, but you have lavished those upon us. You give them freely out of your goodness, not out of our worth. Father, I pray as we look into your word that we would come away seeing that you are amazing, that you are holy and righteous and good, and that would give us context to the good gifts you give us now. Father, pray you would guide us as we study and we look. Give us new insights into who you are. Pray in Christ's name. And one of the things I want to do before we start is I'd like to start with a few theological foundations for this. Eventually, I'm going to come into three points, but I've got three, three, uh, some, some theological principles. The one that we start off with is that we are created in God's image. Uh, who has heard that before? Good. That, that means you've read the book of Genesis, and you've also read Jesus's when he's elaborating on that. I want you to let, you, that, let that dwell with you for a second, though. Of all of creation, of all of the created beings, we're created a little lower than the angels, but the angels desire to see the grace by which we've been given in Jesus, right, in the gospel. We alone, people alone, are listed as being in God's image. We reflect that. That's how we were made. That's how we were created. A lot of different people have kind of commented on what that might mean. I think my next bullet point uh, elaborates on that a little bit. We were designed, we were made to create. God is a creator. We were actually made to create, to reign, to fill the earth. It was the cultural mandate that was given, right? Is what it's referred to as. So we were created, Adam and Eve were created, and they said, go forth and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it, right? Uh, and that was good. That was before sin, before the fall. Uh, that was good. Another truth is that as Christians, we see and experience life through the lens of the gospel. There is nothing outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the believer's life. Too often we want to compartmentalize. We want to put work here. We want to put family here. We want to put our leisure activities and our hobbies here. But Jesus is ruler over all of that. He has transformed and redeemed all of those things in our life. So we see that God is the ultimate giver and the ultimate purpose is how the Christian views our, ex our experience in life. Another theological point is that we are not just souls. Uh, we're flesh. We're body. That is, that is by design. God made us actually to sense creation. We're part of creation. Okay? So we, we're, we're designed to do it. We, we, we can enjoy food. We can enjoy touch. Sunshine, laughter, all of those things, we were made to do that. We celebrated uh, communion earlier. If you know that, that's Jesus said when Tyson was leading us through that, this do in remembrance to me. He didn't say just think or dwell. He actually gave us something tangible. They were around the table, and he picked this piece of bread, and he said, this bread, this bread, touch it, feel it, right? Taste it, see what that looks like, sense it, know what it is. This is my body. He gave us that as a, as a, as a reminder of him. He did the same thing with the cup. He passed around the cup. They were drinking wine. We do grape juice, right? Because we want you to pay attention during the sermon. Okay, that's why we do. No, it's not. It's not why we do that. 
So, but he passed the cup around, and he said, drink this. Why? It was fluid. It was liquid. They drank it, reminding that it was his blood. It was real tangible bread, real tangible cup, and it was his real tangible body that he gave for us for our sins. Just think about that small grace that he gives us. He doesn't just leave something out there saying, remember me, remember me. But instead, when we gather around the table, we can remember him. He made it tangible. It's like baptism is tangible. You go into the, into the water and come back out, right? Signifying the death, burial, and then our resurrection again that we have with Christ. So we're, we're made to do those things. Not just now, but that's how it was in the beginning also. Uh, this is a, a portion out of Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> so as we look at the good gifts, so Adam has already been made. He was there, and then uh, the Lord, this is uh, Genesis 2.21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Okay, I read that like that was a text. If you were uh, looking at that in the Hebrew or in the language, there's emotion behind that. Okay? So the actual translation, so this is a bow translation. Uh, this is what Adam has said. Wow. Wow. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He greeted this gift from God, this pairing, this God's design of a man and a woman with unbelievable joy. It was God's design. That's how it was intended to be. There was a received, Joe Rigney, an author, says this, Adam is not turning away from his love for God. So in receiving Eve, in this introduction to Eve, it's not like he's turning away from his love for God. Instead, he says this, this is what love for God looks like when it meets one of his gifts. Adam has found a wife. He has found a good thing. That's how God designed it. That's why when you eat bacon, you go, wow, that bacon is good. Right? That's why we do that. Now, sin has marred this. He's marred this image. Uh, but the gospel redeems. So the effects of sin are on everything, and the gospel redeems everything. The purpose, if you're married, the purpose of your marriage is different. In fact, God designed marriage, created marriage, as a way to reflect Christ in the church. That was designed. You get to live that out now as a couple. If you're a parent, that has changed. The, God, the gospel has redeemed that. If you have a job, the gospel has redeemed that. You work now for Jesus Christ. Hey, I have a boss. We all have a boss. But ultimately... I work because God has created me to do that and to be productive as part of that cultural mandate. The gospel has redeemed that. What is the gospel? You've heard that. West articulated that really well. Okay. I'm hoping that some of you are participating in our memory verse that we do. Last month in June, it was Ephesians 2, 8, 9, a very good, concise explanation of the gospel. For it is by grace that have you been saved through faith not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That was God in his mercy and in his grace taking initiative to die on the cross and made us right. He didn't just make you right. He made you a people. You're now a collective. We are God's own people, his possessions, as we sang in that one song. So all of this is introduction. And I have uh, three points. Um, don't hold me to those because there's lots of sub points. 
But we want to look at how the gospel does that. And the first thing we're going to look at is, uh, is how the gospel transforms how we view and enjoy the good things now, right now. So in the Pew Bibles in front of you, if you want to follow along with that, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. That is on page 961 on the Pew Bibles, if you have that. I think on the screen it's going to be in the um, NIV. I will be reading from the ESV. So this is uh, 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Hey, just a reminder, too, that this first, the passage starts off that we live in the later days. That is the age that we live in. The Bible kind of talks about a couple of ages. So there was, we live, according to Hebrews 1.1, that we are in the last days. That is the time period between Jesus' resurrection and his return. That is the time period. So when you look at the Bible and it talks about the later days, the last days, those things, that is the age by which we live in. Also, if you can see... Hey, we, we tend to think about demonic teaching and bad teaching in, in less, sometimes, sometimes we think it's blatant and it's out, like the teaching that, well, Jesus was just a man, he was not the son of God. You would say, well, where does that teaching come from? Well, that would be, you would say, man, that's wrong, that's from Satan. But look at, this is a little bit more subtle. So this definition of demonic teaching, look how it's evidenced. It's evidence in two things. One is it was teaching at this time that some people, you shouldn't get married. Hey, since we live in these latter days, you shouldn't give yourself over to marriage. You shouldn't get married. And oh, by the way, you should abstain from some foods. Hey, that's demonic teaching. It's kind of odd, isn't it? You tend to think, we tend to think it's a different kind of thing that you may come from a demonic teaching. But in this, it's two different things. Some people had apparently taken up those calls to deny yourself, right, to to give yourself, and then they'd taken it to an extreme and saying that all the physical stuff is bad. They had turned it into asceticism, right? So that's what it looks like that they had done. And look what they were denying. They were denying what God had intended for pleasure, for good and for pleasure. Look how the gospel trans, transcends that and changes that. So in verse 3, who forbid marriage and require abstinence that from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Who, who is that? Oh, that's the Christian. Okay? That's the Christian who knows that. So I, I'm pretty convinced that I, I think only a Christian can really enjoy bacon. I mean, a non-Christian can eat it, and they think, man, this tastes good. But only a Christian can know bacon from both the taste of it and the appeal of it and the giver of it, right? Only a Christian can sense that because we know the one who gave it. So I don't know if you've ever received an anonymous gift or knowing who it is, who the gift is from. So you get a gift from somebody and you think this is really cool. But if you know who that gift is from, does that make that gift more, more, more attractive to you and better? Yes. What if I tell you that gift is from the God of the universe, from the ruler? from the one who died to save us, that that's who that gift is from. Man, that's why I can enjoy bacon. 
and all good gifts that he give us. James 1.17 says this, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow uh, due to change. Every good and perfect gift is from God. Note also that it is made holy, right? Made holy by the word of God in prayer. The Pharisees seemed holy, right, from the outside. But holiness is actually an internal. It starts an internal. God transfers and takes our heart first. Then he transfers and takes it into actions. Yes, the Christian looks differently. We desire different things. We do different things. But that's not an external. The Pharisees did that. And what did Jesus call them? Whitewashed tombs, dead on the outside, paint, or dead on the inside, painted on the, painted on the outside. They, they looked good, but they were not really holy. So this holiness starts with the word of God and with prayer, and it's transformed. It transforms us. The next point that I've got is that God created and gives good things for us to see him more clearly, not just to enjoy if you look at how Jesus did some teaching, right? He was walking along and he would say, consider the lilies. Look at the lilies. Doesn't God love you more than the lilies? Then he would say, look at the sparrows. Doesn't God love you more than the sparrows? So he used the everyday thing of life, walking through creation, walking through things to show this. Proverbs says, look at the ant. And he pointed those things out, right? Proverbs 24, 13 and 14 says this. My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such for your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Have you, have you ever thought about why honey tastes sweet? Why does it taste sweet? Well, I think one of the things this passage is telling us is to taste sweet so that when we eat it, we would know what wisdom does to our souls. That it, that it, it is in, enriches us, Right? Have you ever thought about it? God could make food taste like anything? You remember that old movie, The Matrix, when they were sitting around? They had actually gotten out of the Matrix, and they were eating the food. And one guy says, well, this tastes like gruel. And he says, ah, oh, it has all the essential vitamins and minerals. Now, God could have done that. He could have made everything taste like a green pepper. <clears throat> hey, uh, green peppers, by the way, came after the fall of man. They were not in the original garden. Just so you know, my food theology says it was not in the garden. It's after the fall. It's a sinful food. But instead, God made food to taste good. A lot of us cooked out over on the holiday, right, on the 4th of July, celebrating our independence. It's, some, it's what we do in this part of the country, right? Uh, we cook out. We, have a, we grill out. We have a barbecue. Uh, it's good. God designed that for us to enjoy so that it would point us to him this is what he says to the rich in 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So on a global scale, uh, we are all rich. I hope you know that, right? So when you line up and you think, if you were born in the United States, by and large, you're already in the top, whatever, 4 or 5% of the people in terms of wealth in the world. And some of us have more and some of us have less. But by and large, we, we have rich. So God's charge in that is to not to say give it all away. It's not what he says here. It's not what he's saying. But instead, it says don't set your hope on them. Instead, set it on God. Your riches, 
are designed to point you actually to God, right? To on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's what it says. So the goal is to enjoy God in the good things, not only the good things. That's the goal. In fact, we're missing it if the good things don't point us back to God. My third point, pursuit of Jesus is how we enjoy the good things in balance. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Philippians chapter 3. That is on, if you're on the Pew Bible, on page 952 in the, in the Pew Bible. And I'm going to pick this up in uh, verse 5, actually. I think behind me it has, uh, starting at verse 7, I'm going to read two extra verses. <clears throat> if anyone thinks he has reason, this is Paul talking, has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the day of the dead. So, hey, let's go back to who Paul was before he became a Christian. Uh, he actually was very successful. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied under the one, one of the most influential teachers of the, his day. He, he was powerful. He was learned. He had a position. He had over 100,000 Twitter followers. People paid attention to what Paul did. That was before the gospel, before he saw all of that compared to Jesus Christ. And what he saw is that all of that is nothing compared to Jesus Christ. If you look inside of your, ourselves and we think, um, so let me, let me back up a second. So in effect, being found in Christ, knowing Christ was more for Paul and for us than our career, than our position, our moral status even. He was known to be righteous. He did right things. He was in accordance with the law. His position, his power all of those things, he knew that Jesus was more. And that's because those kind of things don't ever fulfill what we actually need. We have stuff sometimes because they make us feel valued. Where do we find our value? We find it in Jesus Christ. We have a position because we make, make us feel important, right? Or sometimes we have stuff because it gives us short-term pleasure. What gives us lasting joy? True joy is found in Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He's reminding ourselves. So we find our purpose, our value, our joy in Christ, not in stuff. Philippians 4. <clears throat> some of you will be familiar with this verse. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, um, a reminder. That has nothing to do with hitting a basket at the end of a game or hitting a softball this afternoon or anything else sports-related. That is not what that verse is saying, okay? That is not the context. On the other hand, here's the context. I'm going to back up a couple of verses. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, this is verse 11, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus Christ gave Paul the ability. He, had, he was high, and he'd been low. Hey, some of you here today are at one of those two spots or someplace in between. A lot of you have been through that in your lifetimes. Some of you have been really high and some of you have had the floor drop out on you where you feel like you've lost everything, that you've got nothing left. Okay? How can Paul say, I can do all things. I can be content in that state and I can be content in the high state. Can I tell you, I think it's because of Philippians 3. He knew that Christ was more, that his true value, his true place, his true benefit to his soul the rest, the peace that came from that was from Jesus Christ, not from the stuff. So he had both gain and he had loss, and he was content. So one of the things that I, I wanted to do today was also give some practical things. So building off those three points, I've got some practical things I'd like to share with this. And I'm going to go through this list uh, quickly. Hey, the good things of this world point us to God himself uh, let them point you to the giver of all good things. Uh, I could go into more depth about uh, exactly all the gifts and the way God provides for them, but know that all of what God has given us that is good is designed to point them to him. So the next point is see God's hand in them, not your own merit, but his grace and kindness. So I have been blessed with a lot of things. One is I have been blessed with a wife who is smarter and prettier and a whole lot more than me, Right? Uh, people think I was rich when we got married, okay? Because no, no other way she would do that. That's a blessing, right? There's things that you may be successful in your work. Do you know that there's people who've worked as hard or harder than you and they may not have got that success? It's just not how it is sometimes, right? You guys, have, you guys have seen that before, so know that it is God. It is not your own merit, but it is his grace and kindness. Even when you've worked, there's other people who've worked and didn't get those things. It's always his grace. Understand that the good things and you are fleeting. Uh, they will not last forever. Even that picture of family, we've lost loved ones, haven't we? Things change on those things. Hey, um, also understand that others might have less than you. Don't let the good things choke the word in your life. So there were four types of seeds in, in Jesus' parable about the sower, Right? Only one of those seeds was a true Christian. That's the last one that drew fruit. The third seed was the one that fell in among the weeds. And that talked about the riches and the cares of this world choked out the word. Don't let the good things choke out the word in your life. Hey, accept these good things and enjoy them with humility and gratitude. The key word is to enjoy them. The next one is enjoy them in contentment and without guilt. Hey, look, some of you may own stuff. A lot of us do. I have stuff. I have a lot of stuff. I go out in a garage, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I got a lot of stuff. Okay? Let me give an example. You may have a boat. Man, wouldn't that be cool to be, if you wanted four days or last four days to go out on that boat like today and see God's creation and see that, you should enjoy that with contentment and without guilt because that good gift is possible because of God's grace to you and his mercy to you. So those good things, enjoy them in contentment. The next one is do not make them an idol. Hold them loose. And another practical way is to be generous to other people. 
I'm going to um, end with two warnings. And I'm a little bit like Paul when he says, in conclusion, he may still have two or three chapters left, okay? So we'll see how this goes. But uh, two warnings. The first one is, don't fall into covetousness. Don't compare. Don't get caught up in comparing your good things with others. Uh, that's a real danger. Jesus said this in, verse, uh, in, tw- in Luke 12, uh, 13 to 15. That's what he said in 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That idea of take care or to be cautious means it can creep up on you. I heard a preacher talk one time. He says, you don't see to take care about or to be cautious about adultery. That doesn't sneak up on you. Covetousness, though, can really sneak into your life. And you can start comparing. Okay. So I'm, I was, uh, I'm preparing this, this sermon, right? And so yesterday I, uh, I, I took um, some scrap metal that we had and I went down to uh, raise trash, right? And uh, took it down and uh, loaded up my uh, pickup truck, um, went down, uh, drove down two and a half hours worth of work, yielded me $15 of uh, scrap metal. <clears throat> yeah, that's not going to be my retirement plan, I guess, uh, doing scrapping. Uh, but on the way back, so I, I drive back, and I, I want to drive back by our niece's house, so I come a different way, and her garden looks great, and I turn the corner, and there's a for sale sign over there on the lot, and it's a really cool lot. This is on uh, 300 South and 250 West, right? Now, look at that lot, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I didn't know that lot looked that good. Look, they cleaned it up. They mowed it down, huge, mature trees, and I go driving up, and I'm like, the house is there, too, so I do what you would do, right? I actually pull on the side of the road, get my phone out, and look it up on Zillow. And uh, that's 11 acres. And I thought, man, that, that's kind of cool. And then my next thought was, what? I don't need 11 acres. I can't keep track. I'm complaining about keeping track of my three acres. But even that, it was like, man, that, that place looks better than my place. Covetousness can sneak in on us. Be careful about that. Satan in our sin nature causes us to misuse those good things. So how can you be on your guard? Let me give you a couple of sub-bullet points. One is don't just build bigger barns. You familiar with that passage? The, the, the guy was saying, hey, look at my life. And Jesus is telling this parable, look at my life. I've done great. Soul, you've done well. What should you do? And the guy says, well, I should tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And Jesus said, no, it's a bad economy. Don't look at it that way. Your life is not in that stuff. Your life is in me. Constantly put your stuff under Jesus' lordship. Compare it to his worth. Pray that he will use your stuff well. We've been the beneficiary of a lot of you in this house, in a lot of this, in this church, church house, of those of you who've opened your houses to people who've done that. You have the space to do that. Some of you host small groups in your house. God has given you a house that you can be hospitable and you can open it up. That is using it for God's good works. This last, next uh, warning is don't let the good things become an idol replacing God. Hey, which of these good things can become an idol? Uh, sports. We raised three sons. We went through sports. I played sports. Sports can become an idol. Children can. Grandchildren can. Can I tell you, I speak from that, from, uh, from experience. With seven grandchildren. So what, what is, looks, anything can become an idol. Your leisure, how does something become an idol? How does a good thing become an idol? One is it starts pulling our affection from Christ. Also, it becomes our source of joy and happiness. Do I not feel joyful and happy unless I'm doing that activity or I'm with that person or whatever that may be or I have that thing? 
Another way it can become an idol is that causes me to miss Bible study or prayer or the gathering of the saints. If you're idle, if God has blessed you and you have time and leisure and you have a, something you can go do on weekends, if you're always doing that, be careful that that good thing has not become an idol. Uh, now I am actually going to close. I'm going to close. I'm going to read part of this letter that I got. This was in 2003. Uh, we were attending a different church at the time, and we hosted a gentleman named Moise Agendo from Mali. He was from the African nation of Mali, and he was here. He was actually head of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church in Mali at that time. I'm going to read you just a couple of parts of this letter that he sent. <clears throat> he said, Dear brothers and sisters, by this letter we come to greet you joyfully in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We continue to thank you again for your love, kindness, and your warmly hospitality during our stay in your blessed country. We're thankful to all of you for what you have done for us. You gave your time, cars, rooms, and money to welcome us. We appreciate that. My wife charged me to transmit you her greetings and gratitude. She appreciated the expression of your love. She also thanked you for the gifts. This next sentence is what hit me when I read this. Moise writes this. I'm very much encouraged by what I saw with you. In spite of your stuff and your comfort, you love the Lord and you are very interested in his services. He wrote that to our church. He stayed with us, wrote that to our church. Man, that stayed with me. This is a guy who came from a different country who saw a lot less. He was actually somewhat surprised to see that the church was so passionately following Jesus, despite our stuff. Don't always view your stuff as something that leads us to Christ, but as something that has the potential to both lead us to him and pull us away from him. A lot of us have stuff. I pray this too for us today, that in spite of your stuff and your comfort, we would love the Lord and very interested in his services. Going back to Philippians 3, I think, is how this works. So I'd like to end with this passage again. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I want you to see your good things as gifts from God that are designed to help you see just how good and valuable he is. That he is more than those. That those good things will never replace what he can truly give and what only he gives to us. And that's how you can keep your good things in balance. That they become neither idols nor covet, nor do you turn into the one of saying, well, we shouldn't enjoy those things. God has given you those good things. He has given us first and foremost his son to save us and to call us into a people and to be a people. But he's also blessed us even today. Some of us will be playing church softball today. You know, we, we were made to do that and to enjoy that. That is a gift from him. We should be a part of that. So let me close this in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the good gifts that you have given us. We thank you because we know that you have lavished those upon us because of our, not because of our worth, but because of your worth and your goodness and your kindness. Father, we offer them to you as worship that we would put them underneath your lordship that we may enjoy them the right way, pointing us to the giver of all good things. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.